For the week of December 1st, 2019, this is Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into every Star Wars TV and Disney Plus streaming series, as well as the latest news coming out of Lucasfilm. Today we are going to discuss The Mandalorian Chapter 4, Sanctuary, and Season 2, Episode 7 of Resistance, The Relic Raiders. And to help me with this is John. John, how you doing? Feeling pretty good. Uh, got a little ATST action this week. That's certainly worth a conversation. Uh, yeah, so more Mandalorian fun. I'm excited to uh, break down, I guess, what's the second arc of the season or maybe the, the calm before the storm before we get in the back half one way or another, a Mandalorian is still delivering. So uh, yeah, let's get into it. All right. Chapter four sanctuary. This episode was directed by Bryce Dallas Howard and in it, Mando and Yodel find a secluded world to lay low as they begin to settle in. Mando becomes suspicious of a patron at a nearby table. After a brief skirmish, Cara Dune confides in Mando that she too might have a bounty on her. As Mando agrees to find sanctuary elsewhere, villagers offer him money to fight off raiders who continuously terrorize their village. Mando agrees to the job and recruits Tara to assist him. However, the two find that the task is more difficult than originally appeared. Mm -hmm. So Bryce Dallas Howard, I mean, I feel like we just have gotten two just really great episodes back to back. So Bryce Dallas Howard, she comes in and she has a great episode ahead of us. We get a new character, one that I have been looking forward to since the beginning. Uh, yeah, I mean, she. I think that she did a great job. Yeah. No sooner did the internet erupt with accusations that the Mandalorian was misogynistic and there were no female characters or female participation of note in the series, um, we get introduced to two very two. capable female lead characters and along with them, our second female director of the season. So yeah, I think all those people can just shut up. <laughs> it seems like this one, uh, was probably, uh, the, the right episode at the right time. Uh, hopefully that other faction of the fandom is now happier with the show and we can all just kind of enjoy it for what it is and put all the, uh, the silliness behind us. Yeah. Well, this show opens up really interestingly with this village that is uh, getting attacked by these uh, these raiders. And I can't remember for the life of me the species of this, but this goes all the way back to, uh, you know, uh, A New Hope. We see them in uh, Moss Eisley Cantina, if I'm not mistaken. There's dog face guys in, in Moss Eisley Cantina? I believe so. I believe that these guys go back a while. And, and, and I could be totally mistaken, but I could have swore I've seen it. I know, no, of course, I, we've I seen think, them. I think they are familiar to the universe. I don't think they're introducing a new creature. I just, I, I don't think I've ever heard the name for them out loud. Mm. Uh, but yeah, you're you're right. We've seen these guys in the background somewhere before. And of course, they're just raiding this village of uh, krill farmers. And yeah, it just gets going, guns a blazing, uh, and then it kind of cuts away. And so we get a, an idea where this episode is going from the beginning, because of course it doesn't start with the with the Mandalorian, doesn't start with the Odal, doesn't start with anything we're familiar with. Mm -hmm. It just starts with this village, and then we get uh, Mando and Yodel in in the ship, and they're they're kind of going back and forth a little bit here, where. Of course, Mando doesn't want him to touch anything, and we get the little uh, slow motion reaching for the switch <laughs> yeah. and touching it. Can I get away with it? Uh, yeah, classic baby behavior. Always testing, always fidgeting, always just wanting to mess with everything within arm reach. Uh, so yeah, this is adorable. Baby Yodel is obviously the breakout star of the series, so any cute little interactions we get with him are always welcome. A fun enough way to start the show because it it clearly shows us that the Mandalorian is accepting his father role. Like he's, mm -hmm. he's gentler and kinder with baby Yodel. Now he's not like just <laughs> grabbing him by the scruff and throwing him in the back. Like eh, get away from that. Um, there's a, a bit more affection there. So it, I think that the scene is saying more than you might realize. Sure. It's just adorable and fun and a nice way to just remind us where our heroes are at, but it does say something about the, the deepening of their uh, affection for each other. Yeah, and I just love the whole, okay, I'm going to go look around, you stay here, and then as no. soon as the ship opens, you see him standing yeah. right next to him. Baby Yodel does whatever Baby Yodel wants. Like They don't really telegraph it, but 
we know that baby Yodel can actually take care of itself mm-hmm. pretty well, right? Like right. it doesn't need them to eat. It doesn't need them to stop mud horns. So, uh, yeah, if baby Yodel wants to go walk about, <laughs> there's really nothing Mando can do when it comes right down to it. And he's, uh, acquiesced to that. You know, he's just basically there to, uh, indulge this, this little yodeling at this point. And, uh, I really enjoy their back and forth and kind of the dynamic they've created for those two. He always feels a little put upon, but, uh, for all the right reasons, of of course, we're, we're always going to have an extra measure of patience when we're dealing with a, a little baby and, uh, yeah, what fun, very adorable. Yeah. And so then they go into this, uh, this little, you know, eating area, not quite the normal cantina, but more so this kind of laid back, uh, sit back and relax, get some food, get some drinks in you. And immediately we see uh, this suspicious character. But before that, one of the things that I thought was really neat is that we got a live action Lothcat in this. Yeah. Yeah. A Lothcat, which we've seen obviously in rebels, but we've also Mm -hmm. seen in um, the, the forces of destiny. There was a couple stories where it was all about saving a Lothcat. Um, Yeah. Cool to see it a little bit more menacing. Like when you actually see what those things look like in scale and just like how big and menacing their mouths are they're they, they're kind of like, yeah, a, a demonic Cheshire cat in person. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, a little more intimidating in live action, but, uh, fun fan service there. I was, I was certainly grinning when that popped on screen and I was wondering if it was going to take a swipe at baby Yodel, but as we know, baby Yodel can take care of himself. So yes, nothing right. came of it. Fun little cameo nonetheless. Yeah. And then, so we see, uh, Gina Carano's character, Cara Dune, who's right. sitting at the table and immediately they're kind of looking back and forth at each other. And Mando feels very suspicious of her and takes a nice little uh, stroll to find her when she mysteriously disappears from her table. And they get into a nice little fight, which is, you know, these kind of things are always uh, they're They're nice because they explain things without having to spend too much time. And, you know, no dialogue is there. But but we find that both of these individuals are very capable at right. fighting and they're kind of uh, matching each other in their strategy as well. So we get from a sense that Kara is very, very experienced in this mm-hmm. area. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You're you're absolutely right. That is the takeaway, right? They end up they end up stalemating each other and realize, you know what? We're probably better if we just uh, call a truce and and figure out, you know, where we stand, you know, rather than try and uh, knock down, drag out, uh, bare knuckle brawl our problems. Why don't we actually figure out what each other's deal is? That was fun. It's fun, like you said, to establish that they're both capable. So Mando knows immediately when he gets his commission that oh, there's someone else on this planet that could really make this go a lot smoother and I already know her deal and I trust her, you know, she's got a, a legit backstory. So, um, yeah, they said a lot in this without saying it. And of course they're both won over by baby Yodel, <laughs> you know, his presence sipping uh, bone broth is enough to, uh, soften their hearts enough to start talking rather than shooting, uh, another, another fun scene. And you're right. This is a show. Don't tell. We learn a lot about both characters with very few words. And I do yeah. enjoy that. And one of the things that I've always wondered about uh, the character of Kara is she's got a little uh, rebel tattoo underneath yeah, her eye. Like a little teardrop, just barely big enough to to see there. Yeah. Well, and I wonder because we hear that kind of she comes into conflict, of course, with the guild and even uh, the Empire. So is that a tattoo of choice or is that more of a kind of a mark that she's been marked as a rebel? No, no, no. If you listen to what she says. She says that she was doing cleanup after Endor. She was tracking Mm -hmm. down Imperial, you know, commanders turned warlords and basically doing like political assassinations, kind of like, you know, (laughs) scrubbing the deck of all the Imperial riffraff that remained in the galaxy. Uh, And she said that that got kind of boring because after a while it was more about just like security detail for people in the new Mm -hmm. Republic. So she was on the right side of the rebellion. And so that's probably, you know, her own badge of honor that she fought in Endor. She, you know, was involved in the, the, the sweeping defeat of the empire after the second death star blew up. Yeah. And, and so I kind of got that my, I was more so meaning what did the empire possibly brand her? Like, was she arrested at some point? Ah, Cause we'd never seen that before. I don't think that's but, an imperial thing. Yeah. I think the empire just kills you if they don't like you. <laughs> I don't think right. they give you a little teardrop <laughs> tattoo and say, there, take that. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're, you're a shock trooper that could do us all in, but uh, we're just going to waste our time tattooing you. Um, yeah, a fanciful idea, but I, I think, uh, the, the empire is pretty pragmatic that way. I, I think they're, they're just about getting down to business and not really that, that, that kind of stuff. 
Well, we find very quickly that she's not afraid of anything, really, that she can handle herself. Mm -hmm. Of course, when masses are sent at her, she has some issues, but she's very uh, strategic. I'm looking forward to seeing some more uh, of this character because, you know, she's coming back. Oh, yes. Until their paths cross again, right? Like this was left open ended. They didn't spend a whole episode establishing her as a obvious ally of the Mandalorian to just have her walk away and never show up again. She's coming back for the finale. <laughs> there's, there's going to be some reason why they need to team up and, and I don't know, go on some adventure together. And I, I'm, my money says three episodes. We see her again. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so anyway, they get this offer from this, uh, this krill farming village. And so they go and immediately they start tracking down where these raiders are coming from. And it is discovered that they have an ATST. Yeah. If they weren't already telegraphing it enough, this scene where the two imbeciles come up and proposition them, mm-hmm. it makes it absolutely clear that this is just a star Wars retelling of seven samurai or magnificent seven. Uh, it's all there. Uh, so we, um, if if we have any context, you know, for Kurosawa films, we, we kind of know where we're going with this one. We do have the peaceful village that just wants to be left alone being accosted by raiders. We have, uh, you know, uh, uh, a lone samurai wandering into town. And of course, uh, he's going to end up helping the village. He takes the commission for obvious reasons. He's got a partner to make the job a little easier. He's able to get off the beaten path by going to this village. So it's kind of self-serving too. He wants to fly under the radar and he feels like this is a good off the beaten path location. He can duck down for a bit. So there's a logic to why everyone comes together. Nothing feels contrived here. So, so far so good. We do get these two buffoon characters that my, my one critique at this point is they feel very TV. Like they feel like very lightweight characters. Their acting does not carry a whole lot of oomph, you know, like they're, they're funny characters. And I think they, I'm not sure who the actors are, but it, it feels like this is maybe they're, they're casting comedians or they're casting people that maybe they thought would make good buffoons. But I feel like just tonally, it's a little out of place to have those kind of characters in an episode like this. I feel like if this town is really, um, you know, on, on the verge of being devastated, you would send serious people on a serious mission to, to recruit your, your savior. So I don't know that, that part wasn't really rousing me, but obviously where the episode ends up going and the characters that they meet in the village, that all is a lot stronger. So even though maybe this was a little clunky getting us there, once we get to the village, I think the episode really starts to take shape in a, in a very nice way. And like you said, there's a, an ATST to be had. So, um, I'll just hand it back to you and you tell me where you want to go next. Yeah. So we get the, the two that, uh, originally they're not too keen in taking the job. Uh, Kara's kind of bailing out and then Mando's just like, well, what if we, you know, train the villagers to fend mm. for themselves. I mean, this is a nice place to lay low. It's not like that, uh, any bounty hunters are coming after us yet but as of right now you know it it kind of also has some more emotional storytelling it right after that because amanda decides to stick around of course the kids in the village are loving uh little yodel and they're they like playing with them and hanging out with them and then we find something deeper about our our uh our mando here is that you know of course we got the sense that mandalorians don't take off their helmets uh mm-hmm. and and especially his uh his pack of Mandos never do. And he hasn't taken off his helmet in front of another individual since, you know, shortly after we've seen those flashbacks. So, uh, this was the first episode. We didn't get any flashbacks if I'm not mistaken. Uh, well, no, we only get flashbacks when he upgrades his armor. So we had an in between episode where he was off world, hanging out with uh, farmer Mm -hmm. Ugnot when he didn't have a flashback, but, you're right. They told backstory here directly from the horse's mouth rather than mm. through visual cinema. So it, this is a first where he actually reveals something about himself. Cause at this point he's been, you know, the, the stoic figure, just, you know, quiet presence. So it is interesting that he was so quick to be willing to open up to this widow. Um, I'll, I'll leave it up to interpretation as to where his thinking or his heart is at with all of that. But, um, yeah, this is the first time where he's really willing to kind of be vulnerable in front of a person, which is an interesting development for his character. 
Yeah, and it, it's a very kind of, it tugs on your heartstrings a little bit because you get the sense as soon as they get there that the Mando is seeing that Yodel is liking this village. Mm-hmm. And so, and if you've seen any type of Western or ancient samurai story, something that's of this genre that we get, it's pretty obvious that he's wanting to leave Yodel here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we get that later. Uh, but let's get into this this battle that happens, and it's very classic westerny once again because you know they have the big gun and they have to figure out okay what do we do with this big gun? We're this outnumbered uh, village with with untrained fighters, so we got to train people with sticks and guns. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, it, it 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 was a lot of fun, and I liked the idea of. Kara thinking of this strategy of like, okay, you know what? We got to, you know, dig a hole in this water. Um, but I'm not too sure that the ATST would actually do that. Um, why not just stay posted up on the other side and start shooting people? Why do you have to get closer? What, how'd you interpret that? Well, obviously the ATST stopped, mm-hmm. right? Right. It stops for that exact reason. It's like, I smell a trap. They're walking me down this channel. We've got these, uh, posts these logs these sharpened logs basically barricading the path Mm -hmm. so he's the whoever's commanding the atst looks at the pond and says this smells like a trap i'm stopping right here i can do my business from a few paces further away no problem at all i'm locked down it's only when cara dune tries to get close Mm -hmm. and under his guns where he can't angle and get her right like he keeps taking shots but she can duck down behind the the water's edge there Mm -hmm. and get out of view so in order for him to get an angle where he can get down on her enough to take her out so she stops taking pot shots from a distance where she actually could do some damage with mando's gun which we know is a beefier gun right um he he has to try and maneuver around the pond and it's enough to throw him off right he takes Mm -hmm. a step back he thinks he's further back he takes a step forward he's a little closer to the edge than he realizes and then again she takes another pot shot so again he's trying to pivot and work the situation to his advantage and get to a better spot and fumbles and it's just an he's close enough to the edge that the weight of the atsd erodes the edge and he kind of slides in, but you can tell that it was not his intention to go forward. It was just, she calls an audible and tries to throw him off kilter by getting up in his face with his gun at an angle where he can't do anything about it. And that's enough to change the game. What I don't understand though. I mean, if we're going to pull back and try and look at this logically, and I understand why they didn't, cause they want a big set piece at the end. Mm-hmm. If they had thermal detonators and they had the element of surprise on the Raiders camp, mm-hmm. why did they blow up the tent? When they could have just scooted around the back and thrown that in the ATSD. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they could have stopped it before it ever, you know, woke up. Yeah. I mean, maybe it was that they didn't know where it was. Uh, Cause at some point when they see it get up, it was, it looked like it was covered in some branches. And so I, uh, and so I that might it. be something. I mean, but if you know that they have an ATSD, you go after the big guns right. like that. That's war strategy. One on one. Like you find the big guns. Yeah. Their yeah. plan should have simply been, we're going to go to the camp. We're going to scout it. We're going to find out where this ATSD is because nobody knows we're there. It's the middle of the night. We caught all the time in the world. Mando's got night vision mm-hmm. and tracker heads up display in his helmet. There's no reason why he can't figure out where a huge 50 foot metal box is. <laughs> like that's just, mm-hmm. And the fact that it's like 10 feet behind the camp too, (laughs) there's there's nothing about the situation that says that the right play was to go in the middle of the camp, attract everyone's attention. And I understand they're doing it because they're trying to draw them out, Mm -hmm. but do that after you blow up the ATSD, like sure, let them bring the fight to you, but don't let them bring their big gun with them. If you can stop it with a thermal detonator, it's just, uh, yeah, obviously they wanted the set piece to be the ATSD menaces, the, the town again. So I, I get why we had to get there, but I just feel like they should have done something to create a bit more of a, a logical reason why they couldn't approach mm-hmm. the ATSC. Like they get there, they find its charging station or they find, you know, the mechanical area where they work on it, but it's off. It's hidden. They're smarter than that. They've taken it away to the mountains or something like right. they, they could have thrown in some little bit of exposition or some little scene where they could have discovered that, Oh, stopping the ATSD, which was plan a is off the table. Let's draw them to the village and, right. you know, do something a little bit more reasonable so that people aren't scratching their heads going ATSD's you can take them down with a bunch of logs and rope. The Ewoks taught us that. Like, why are we dancing around this thing? Just take it out. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like don't even wait, just take it out. So anyways, that was, I'm watching the episode and this is the first time in this whole series where there was a really big, in my opinion, 
flaw in the world where Mando has already proven that he's savvy and smart and he's got a sidekick right. now that's just as savvy and smart and they're scared to just go the direct approach and get this ATSD while nobody's in it. I don't get it. So anyways, that's my quibble still made for a fun set piece. What they ended up doing with the uh, ATSD being this menacing red eyed demon uh, coming out of the woods, a la Jurassic park, you know, mm-hmm. like visually they got to some really fun places with it. Just, I wish they didn't have to hang it on such an absurd lack of strategy. Yeah. I mean, it made for an awesome battle sequence, a <laughs> uh, classic Western thing where you have the big gun just coming in. And I mean, it was, it was all great like that. And I also really appreciated that they made the, the cockpit of the ATST uh, have some red lights in there yeah. because that, that of course looks far more menacing. And then of course, if for villagers, I mean, that's, that is your boogeyman. Like mm-hmm. as a child, you see the thing with the red eyes, like that's going to be something that, that terrifies you forever. Um, but yeah, I mean, that is, that is kind of a flaw there that we have Mando that has this clear tracking capabilities. Yes. He's got all the Mandalorian tech. Like, yeah, he could have just found it and destroyed it or hijacked it and used it against the village. And you don't even have to get the right. The go, village go, involved. go Chewbacca method, right? Just swing yeah. in and get in there. Um, I'm only harping on this because the Mandalorian has set the bar high. This show has stunned us with three really, really good episodes that culminated in a a really good organic, well thought out battle that made perfect sense. So if something like this happened in resistance, where we expect things to be contrived and juvenile and your audience isn't going to be picking it apart like this, if, if this kind of a, a plot contrivance happened there, no problem. That's the nature of that show. But Mandalorian has told us this is a show that is really well written. You know, they took their time to pace it and think it through. So for them to take a step back is a little bit more frustrating than in another show where you just don't have those expectations for the quality of the writing. Well, I have found an excuse Okay, so after great. I thought about it. So, okay, let's pretend that the original plan was that they were going to go there and scope it out. So when they go into the little tent, the first one, they kind of get caught before they wanted to. Uh, and so maybe that's why they couldn't get it because then by the time, you know, they had blown up that other one, that, don't go in that the tent. tent, don't go in the yeah. tent. There's no reason to <laughs> maybe, go in the tent. <laughs> maybe they thought it was in the tent. I don't know. Uh, and so, you know, yeah, but that's, that's just a, an excuse that yeah. maybe they had is maybe they thought that with, uh, with Mando's little x-ray vision that maybe it was in the tent. Who knows? No, uh, I, I think this really just boils down to. They knew where they wanted to get this really cool visual of the ATSD coming out of the forest and the menacing red eyes and just, you know, certain doom descending upon the village. They wanted to get to that point. They had to play a little fast and loose and fudge the story a little bit to get there. And I'll forgive it. I just don't want to see a lot of this kind of stuff because I want this show to be smarter. I want to be able to walk away from this saying they ticked all the boxes. It wasn't just visually fun. It didn't just have great characters, but it was also smartly written. I want Breaking Bad. You know, I I want everything across the board. I want the acting. I want the story. I want the creativity. I want, uh, you know, just the X factor of it all. And when there is a contrivance like this, it just makes me say, oh, okay, maybe maybe we're not going to get to quite the heights that I'm hoping for. Yeah. And, you know, going back to some of the villagers, we have uh, Amira, Amara, Omera. Yes. Omera, I believe is her name. The beautiful Uh, widow that he should settle down with and raise his frog with. Exactly. Yes. And so once again, this is kind of that, that classic Western. There's yep. always a beautiful widow that he should settle down with. <laughs> yep. And and somehow she knows how to shoot a gun. I mean, this yeah, yeah. feels like the Magnificent Seven. It does. Uh, and just to kind of see the, the connections once again, uh, you get this very independent woman. She's a single mom. She's a widow. She can take care of herself. And she is she's the strongest one in the village. Right. Uh, and and so that was just cool to see. She, of course, wants the Mando to stick around. She wants to see his face. Um, but he's not ready to to leave that life behind. He's basically made his commitment, his samurai vow that uh, he's going to keep his helmet on and until he's ready to hang to hang it up. And once he takes it off, it's for good. Or has he? Because we get to the end of the episode and it seems like he is on a razor's edge of maybe acquiescing and letting her take off the helmet. Obviously fate intervenes and we get, you know, a big, uh, plot twist there at the end that I'll let you set up. But I have a feeling that if she worked him over for a couple more minutes, he, he might've stayed. They really did a good job of laying it out that this was a, a real tragedy for him to have to choose right. that he, he yeah. really was emotionally invested in staying there. So, um, that was really strong. And I think mm-hmm. Bryce Dallas Howard 
played those scenes really nice, or I should say directed those scenes really mm-hmm. nice. They played out really nice. Uh, you don't get a sense that this love story is sweeping and over the top to the point where you're kind of cringing and going, well, this is too cheesy and this came on too fast. So much of it's unsaid. There's an appreciation there and they both understand what this could be, but nobody's like doing an attack of the clones level, like heart on your sleeve <laughs> kind of, um, star crossed lovers kind of thing here. This is, this is a much more grounded and realistic approach to a relationship. And that just seems to fit these two characters that are a little more world weary. They don't have, uh, you know, romantic ideas, they understand there's a practicality here and there's, uh, just a mutual benefit always around like this, this makes sense. And this could be happiness for everyone. Like it, because the numbers work, it's that much more tragic that the Mandalorian has to choose to leave that behind because right. you're kind of rooting for him saying, yeah, you deserve some happiness. You've had a tough life. This is as good a place as any, but no, uh, fate will not let him make that choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, you have the lone rider who uh, is eventually, yeah. you know, we get this idea that eventually he's going to come back to this place. But we get kind of this this sense where he is uh, he is still broken. He is yeah. still trying to figure out his way. He hasn't figured out his purpose yet. Um, and, and I think we're going to get more of that backstory as well. But he, he thinks like, okay, I have this duty and I have to complete it. Whatever this means, I have to get it done before. Um, I can't keep taking this baby around and right. decides that he's going to leave it and and move on uh and you know i once again was almost thinking like oh great we're gonna have a, a couple episodes where it's just emotional and we don't we don't see baby yoda and the next time we see him he's gonna get kidnapped and that's what we're gonna bring mendo back to this village sure but, yeah very very emotional stuff here but yeah it's like you said as she's taking off his helmet he's thinking about letting her do it and then of course the bounty hunters show up exactly. and find Yodel and almost take him out. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, the, and this is a, again, another credit to Bryce Dallas Howard. I guess they, they already understood how they were going to play this scene out because this scene is effectively a bunch of cliches strung together. Right. Right. You get the misdirection with the shot. Like you hear the shot, but they cut before you see the shot. So there's a chance for them to do a bait and switch. And then they do the bait and switch in like classic Indiana Jones fashion where, um, Karen Allen's character, you know, shoots the guy and then he falls out of the way and you see who it is that, that did him in just like in Raiders. I don't know if you remember that scene, but, Mm -hmm. um, oh, absolutely. So, so they knew what they wanted to pay homage to, but by pulling in such effective cliches, they made an incredibly tense scene and just edited it to a T and just even the sound mix was so effective with the shot and the birds flying and. They didn't rush it. It just, this, this scene to me made the episode, the ATSD. Yay. I love seeing an ATSD done right. Um, but this, this was the most impactful moment of the, the whole episode. And because Bryce Dallas Howard was able to capture that and present it so effectively, that's why I'm giving this one thumbs up. Yeah. And, and then you get it reinvested into this journey that, that Mando is taking with Yodel and it's, you know, we get this this kind of heartbreaking thing to where they would both be happy there and they would also obviously be happiest together there. Um, And so we get kind of this emotional roller coaster, like, Oh man, going to leave him. This is so sad. Then you get the whole, the bait and switch like, Oh, is he going to get die right here? And then it's like, Oh, now they have to leave together. And it, and it's, it's a lose for everyone involved Mm. in my opinion. Like they just didn't uh, it, it's something that's going to continue to go on until whatever end this is, but I'm, I don't know. I'm getting really nervous about, uh, about the, I, I don't think they would kill Yodel. Like no. after seeing this little baby, like, I don't think so. But at the same time, the way that this show is written and the way that these directors are capturing these scenes, you almost believe it right. for a second. Like you're sitting there like thinking like, Oh, Oh no. And you know, like, obviously this is a cliche. It's not going to go right. down this way. <laughs> But they get you nonetheless. That's what it is because they built that scene so effectively, even though in your head, the rational part of your brain saying, no, no, we've spent too much time with Yodel. We know that he's the MacGuffin that's going to be with us till the end of this season. Regardless, the way they built that scene and the amount of tension they built up, you're still feeling it emotionally. When that gunshot goes off, there's a little part of you saying, wait, could they? Did Mm -hmm. they? And they hang on it just long enough by bringing in the birds and giving you a moment to absorb what this could mean. They let you play out all scenarios and your little heart's thumping and your little Mm -hmm. mind's racing. And then you get the reveal that no, it was Kara taking out the bounty hunter. 
so effective, so good. Baby Yoda lives. And like you said, the inevitability that the Mando's sins are going to catch up with him no matter where he goes Mm -hmm. is the tragedy of this episode. It says to him in no uncertain terms, you don't get love. You don't get a quiet life. You don't get to take off your helmet because you created a situation that you're going to be running from indefinitely. You know, there, there's no end to your, this is Sisyphean at this point. You don't get to just stop and call it off. The stakes are high and lives are on the line and you're a person of duty and you're just going to have to answer that call. It's not a choice that any honorable man, uh, can choose to walk away from. And, and Mm -hmm. as we can see, he's, he doesn't leave Yodel. He grabs Yodel and, uh, they head back to the stars to figure out where their next point of refuge might be. And the guild is right behind him. I mean, this Mm. is something to where they've discovered, okay, they're on this planet and they've left for this reason. And so word is going to get back to the guild. Mm -hmm. And this is when I think we're going to get some more Carl Weathers back. And I mean, last, the last episode, I kind of was going back. Like I didn't expect this from Carl Weathers, but now I'm kind of going back and thinking, well, I think that it's very likely that we might see him join the Mandalorian's cause here. Uh, and so whatever that looks like, I'm excited for it because I think uh, whether it's the finale or before, we're going to get a team up with Kara yeah. uh, and, and, and you know, this three, this three piece that we were promised. And I think it's going to be epic. It, it could be because they never paint Carl Weathers as a bad guy. They paint him as opportunistic. They paint him as kind of like a businessman first, kind of like Lando. Like I'm not a bad guy, but. I'm kind of in it for myself. Like I got a bit of a selfish streak, but that doesn't mean that I can't rally and do the right thing when the right thing also benefits me. You kind of get that from Carl Weathers. If, if, if the Mandalorian's cause and his cause line up, I don't think he's going to bear any ill will that Mando took a shot at him. He's going to say, well, this works in my favor. Let's Mm -hmm. go on a heist. Let's go on an adventure. Let's do something. Uh, so yeah, I could see him coming back and not just in pursuit of Mando, but as an unlikely ally in a moment of need or whatever, just again, like Lando was back in the day. I think what's going on is, of course, the client is getting frustrated with the guilt. (laughs) I mean, that's just going to be obvious. And so at some point, the client is going to go back and be like, well, since you can't get the job done, we're going to do it ourselves. And I think this is when we're going to see some extra stormtroopers come into play here. Uh, This is when we're going to see Giancarlo Esposito. I think you you just figured it out. Like, this is all speculation at this point to our listeners. Like, we don't know who Giancarlo Esposito is other than I think they describe him as like a moth. Like he, he was a, a high up in the empire, right. but you could be right. There was a larger plan and the client was just simply an agent of this plan. His, his job was to get Yodel and get the scientist and basically facilitate something on behalf of the remnant of the empire. So is the empire going to get frustrated and say, we need to up our game and, and get serious about recapturing the asset? Absolutely. Is that where uh, you want Gus Fring to come in and really start laying down the law? I do. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, that, that could be the escalation we're in, in for. This was a calm before the storm. Let's introduce some new characters. Let's have kind of a one-off self-contained adventure, but let's just get people ready for the next arc for the next escalation. Yep. I think, I think you just nailed it. I think that's what we're in for is yeah. The stakes are going to be raised here in the next couple episodes. Yeah. And I'm going to guess that this is going to be the slowest episode for the rest of the season. I think that as soon as the next one gets going, uh, we are going to get that theme and we are going to get, uh, you know, the kind of the, the climax really. And that, that conclusion in these next you know, four episodes. And it's, uh, I think we're going to be, on our on the edge of our seats until the very end yeah. here and then i i do believe that we might we might get some sort of closure from this season but i think if uh if season two is coming which it is i think it's gonna leave us wanting season two as soon as this ends and uh i'm looking forward to it well the fact that we're already halfway through the first season and we've still got more questions and answers like mm-hmm. you don't get the sense that we're even close to any kind of conclusion on what this whole Yoda situation is I I I could totally see this whole storyline spilling over into season 2. I don't mm-hmm. I don't think Baby Yoda is just safe and is no longer a factor at the end of the season. I think they might be truly serializing it and seasons mean nothing. This is just going to be an ongoing series of chapters. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh hey 
whatever they're doing, it works. This episode, a little self-indulgent, but I think for Favreau, it was too delicious to think that I can do Star Wars Magnificent Seven, that yeah. he had to find a way to work that in. I think that was probably too much in his thinking when he was crafting the show to not like really bring it home in one episode and good for him. Cause we want those influences. We wanted him to find inspiration from the things that really make star Wars, what star Wars is and Kurosawa and the American equivalents of that, the Westerns, that's all what we wanted to draw on. So good for them for doing it. It made for maybe a less satisfying standalone episode in some ways, because we're not going that much further with the intrigue about the empire, figuring out anything about baby Yodel. So there wasn't a whole lot here that was really like a game changer that was driving the season forward, but we introduced good characters. We had a good set piece and we had a lot of emotional payoffs. So the highs in this episode were really, really high, but much like what we've been talking about with resistance. I don't want a lot of holdover episodes. I want to find out what's going on with our, our a plot. And so I have a feeling that, like you said, next week is the week where we're going to jump knee deep back into it. Hope so. Yeah. Well, this episode was great. Uh, I definitely applaud Bryce Dallas Howard. Of course, the writing from Favreau and company, it's, it's going amazing. And, uh, yeah, other than that, are you ready to move on to some resistance? Uh, if we have to, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we, uh, we got to at least, uh, play a little catch up here. So yeah, let's talk about relic Raiders. So resistance season two, episode seven relic Raiders at the command of captain Doza Kaz and his friends head to a supply outpost on a nearby world to purchase needed supplies. Upon arriving, they discover the village to be abandoned and at the center of the village, an ancient Jedi temple. Kaz finds himself trapped beneath the temple after being tempted to take a relic. Mm-hmm. All right. So, you know, whenever you green light a, a longer season of something, I always want to ask, you know, why? And part of this is because I'm getting selfish with how, how quick, uh, how quick the Mandalorian's getting into it. We know it's going to be, you know, an eight episode arc, but with resistance, it's just, you know, we've now we're once again, even though this gets closer than our, our past three episodes to the main storyline, but now we're so far removed. Like, do people watching this even care about Tam anymore? Like, do we even care what's going on with her? And that's the problem. The problem is I think they feel like the show has to maintain a simplistic enough narrative that they can't intersperse two storylines into one episode. So they couldn't just have this adventure, but do some cutaways to let us know Mm -hmm. what's happening on the first order side of things. And I think because they box themselves in and felt like they can't do that. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's hurting it a little bit to be perfectly honest. This is our third episode in a row where it's basically let's go on a supply run adventure of the week, low stakes. And you know, I, I know that a lot of kids shows are the adventure of the week and there's no ongoing like story or character development, but we thought resistance was shooting higher and Mm -hmm. I know that they are, and I know that we are going to end up escalating to something over the next few episodes, but I feel like this was a step too far. I really Mm -hmm. think that maybe if they'd wanted to push this episode off one or two, get us back Mm -hmm. to the a storyline, give us some meat and potatoes about what's happening with Tam and some episodes with strong emotional cores, uh, kind of like the one where they had the saboteur, like give us yeah. a really meaty, well-crafted episode. And then if we need to do another one off to pad out the season, so be it. But three in a row, mm-hmm. yeesh, <laughs> yeah. not, it, it really just didn't have me feeling good when the first scene of this is, oh, Captain Dozer, you want to see us? Yes. Mm-hmm. We need supplies. <laughs> Here's some money. Go to the planet. Take Tora because, you know, you guys are a duo now and take pink BB-8 because, you know, fun. Uh, it just told me like they're phoning this one in. And I know yeah. that they established some fun stuff with the Sith temple and a new character, you know, this relic hunter that's one step ahead of the first order. So I know that they, uh, did some exposition to build a little bit of the world about kind of how the first order, like the, the Nazi empire that you would have seen in Indiana Jones was obsessed with relics. They're pulling in a bit of that. Uh, that still wasn't enough for me to want to do another, yeah. Supply run episode. Yeah. Well, I did enjoy the the Indiana Jones callbacks. I mean, of sure. course, you have the you touch the relic, you fall into a trap, <laughs> yes. and then there's some you know there's some mystery there, and then of course the you know the Nazis chasing after the relics. But this episode have has already told me everything that I already know. Right. Like we already know that that the first order is hunting down relics. Like that was established from the very beginning of the Disney era, star Wars sure. films that they're hunting down ancient relics, both Jedi and Sith relics alike. Uh, and then we also, we also know that, uh, that 
people on the Colossus are getting Colossus fever that they want off of it. Right. Uh, and we know that the Colossus is low on supplies. Like, I, I don't feel like I need to keep being told, like, okay, let's go on this adventure that's going to go bad because we're getting supplies for the Colossus. I mean, I would much rather spend a filler episode in the First Order with Tam than mm. seeing these adventures again. Uh, but, you know, even though that's kind of the, the, the piece that we're a little bit negative about, uh, it's still... I mean, this this looked good, and it, it was cool <laughs> seeing, you know, getting that theme again, even though we know that there are ancient temples across the galaxy, and typically when there's an ancient Jedi temple, it's hiding or trying to combat the evil forces from a Sith temple. Right. Uh, it was cool to kind of see that, and then we did learn something new, I guess, that that uh, that Kaz is not a believer. Right. That's interesting enough that he doesn't have much regard for Jedi lore, but that's pretty typical in the galaxy at this point. Cause it has been now 50 some odd years since right. the, the order 66. So, uh, I actually like, I, I noted that when it happened, but I thought, yeah, that's consistent. Of course, you know, the younger kids that have only ever known the new Republic. Mm-hmm. I mean, how far away from world war two did you have to be before you didn't care about Nazis anymore? Right. Kind of a thing. Like it, it only takes, 10, 15 years before the world moves on. So yes, the generation that Kaz would be part of, I, I get it. So I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't hang on that. What I found interesting about this episode and not in a good way was their continued need to rely on Kaz to create the chaos that mm-hmm. causes the catastrophe. In this mm-hmm. case, he gets a very clear and simple order. And immediately they cut to a scene of him making a very bad decision against not only his own judgment against, um, pink BB eight's judgment to bring the kids along, which immediately goes to pot because the kids see a butterfly and they, you know, run off and they won't listen to his direction. So he created problems again, which makes it harder and harder to continue to sympathize with him or look to him as a hero character that you want to identify with because he's not demonstrating any prowess. He's bumbling his way through the episode, doing everything wrong. And he's almost getting into like Jar Jar Binks territory of, we right. need someone to cause chaos. <laughs> and, and I don't want, you know, the lead, I don't want the, the hero in training, the, the boy on a, you know, a, a journey of, of finding, you know, your path to manhood or whatever. I don't want that to be a constant string of bumbling and just getting by because of dumb luck. Like that is not a, a satisfying or heroic story to tell. And it, it has very little to do with the myths that star Wars tries to, you know, underpin it's, uh, you know, it's stories with. So mm-hmm. I feel like they're a little off course and, uh, I don't want to be critical of the show and it is a kid show and you, you, you can be a little apologetic for it, but I don't, I just, I think that they have to remember that the whole point of Kaz is he was supposed mm-hmm. to start as uh, a very naive green um, out of his depth kind of a character, but he was supposed to grow into the role. And when he mm-hmm. saw the new Republic devastated at the end of season one, they were right. telegraphing that it's serious now. And when he needs mm-hmm. to man up and take action, he can. And now season two, it's been an unending string of him reverting back into little boy mode. And I feel like that's just not the right way to tackle this story. Well, I mean, we were wrong in our in our review of season one when we came in and because we both were convinced like, okay, this is where Kaz takes that leadership. This is where he grows up because he sees his planet get destroyed. Yeah. Um, And so even the first episode of season one continued with that tone. um, And we were in my opinion, everything we got from the 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 promotions from season two was that tone that yes. this was more serious. I yeah, mean, the stakes are higher. The first order is on them. Like it's time to grow up and join the resistance, like, you know, pick a side and, and become a man. And yeah, uh, yeah I, th- I feel like they're fumbling it at this point. If you have three episodes of filler, turn it into character growth, mm-hmm. right? Like this could have been an arc of, okay, you know what? I made a really bad decision and it's hitting me hard and I'm having some self-reflection and the second episode, I'm going to get it right. And the second episode, yeah. he has a triumph and like you, you, they could have been building that kind of stuff into these exact same one-off adventures. And I'd be applauding them saying, I get it. You're building characters so that when we get to the finale, we have our hero, you know, ready to slay the dragon. It's, it's no longer, you know, does he have the medal? He's, he's being tried by fire here so that he can win the day. I'd get that. I don't get three episodes of, you know, bumbling silliness. 
Yeah, and it's the same mistakes over and over again. It always starts off with him going against the better judgment of others right. and even himself. And so that that was kind of my my problem with it. But what I am interested in, and I'm, I hope I'm not getting my hopes up to be let down, <laughs> is uh, with this new character. So we get introduced to this new character right. who's also hunting relics uh, in Mika Gray. And she is someone that believes in the Force. Uh, she even trusts in the force and for some reason she's hunting down these relics as well. Like she's, whether it's to be a, a nice collector or whatever it is. She said, she's just trying to get ahead of the first order. She knows that they can't fall into their hands. So it does seem like it's altruistic. And so hopefully this gets us into the next thing. So hopefully we hear like, okay, yes, Colossus, while you're absent from what's going on in the greater universe and the battle between the resistance and the first order, you're still right in the middle of it. Like, uh, and we have this opportunity while the first order is focused on, on Ray and Poe and Finn, we have an opportunity to get ahead of the game and to find these other relics that they're going after. And, um, I don't think that's where they're going, but uh, it, it's just nice that we have this character, and I hope that uh, that she drives the plot forward in other episodes. But I mean, we we went through season one where we had about six episodes where Sonara was just sure. missing for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but when she came back, she she came back and was useful. Mm-hmm. Now, to build on that, maybe if the show really wanted to redeem itself, or maybe if the show has an ace up its sleeve and they just haven't revealed it yet. It's possible that this is laying the foundation for some sort of a storyline where the first order actually succeeds. Mm-hmm. You know, our heroes here in resistance are trying to get ahead of them and get the relics before they do. Right. Maybe the first order succeeds because we know that part of rise of Skywalker, if mm-hmm. some of the advertising and leaks and stuff that are already out there and spoiler alert, if anyone doesn't want to hear this, mm-hmm. by all means, skip ahead 30 seconds, but the impression that I've gotten from the trailers and just some other stuff is that there's going to be some sort of a like spear of destiny angle to this, Mm -hmm. that there's some sort of an artifact, a Sith artifact that has some kind of Sith inscription that is the key to them being able to find Palpatine and navigate the unknown regions that there's something to this notion of a wayfinder MacGuffin. Mm -hmm. It's very possible that what they're doing right now is they're showing the backstory of how that gets into the first order's hands, which gives Kylo Ren the opportunity to basically uncover Palpatine and, and get us to the next level with where the rise of Skywalker is going. If that's the case, you know, if they're driving towards something really special and they just needed a bit of time to set the table. Okay. I'll give them that, but I need to see a payoff now. Cause if next week they need to go on an adventure to find some fuel <laughs> and it's another one-off adventure, I'm yeah, I'm going to have to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and this show has the opportunity, and with this character, Mika, we have an opportunity of being kind of the rogue one to this final chapter yes. of the Skywalker If saga. they play it right. We just don't know if that's what they're going to do. If they play it right. But I am thinking kind of like, okay, how are we going to do that in Resistance? And it's it's to me, it would be an easy, you know, you don't have to explain it in, in Rise of Skywalker. You just say, okay, we have this coordinates. Yep. We now have this coordinates. It's in the something. crawl. Kylo Ren has recovered a Sith artifact Correct. pointing him to some mysterious thing out in the unknown regions. Like that, that could be the opening line of the crawl. And just like Rogue One was the opening line of a New Hope's crawl, you mm-hmm. know, anyone who watched resistance can now be like, Oh, I know how they got it, (laughs) you know? And that's a story for another day for anyone that wants to go back and revisit resistance. I hope this is an indication of Lucasfilm having their act together where the story group Mm -hmm. is really working with all the productions and trying to build this fabric and this tapestry. That's going to make these stories more satisfying. I hope that we're getting that. We're just halfway through this, more than halfway through the season now. And there isn't a lot of indication that, this show is building to anything other than the Tam stuff that we're still waiting on. There's nothing else that feels like it's driving towards anything significant. And, uh, I, I want them to prove me wrong and I want them to start with the next episode, please. (laughs) And we know that we're going to see Kylo Ren in in a holocron. And so it's going to be, you know, and I think that's the extent we're going to get him, even though I keep getting my hopes up every time I see his, (laughs) his plane. Uh, but and this is the classic, like, okay, you're failing to do the job. But in my, like, my hope is like, okay, what would cause Kylo Ren to show himself to Commander Pyre in a menacing way? Mm-hmm. And hopefully it has to do with, hey, they're on, they're, they're on the track of doing something special here. Because let's be honest, Kylo Ren probably doesn't care about 
the Colossus floating around. And so I hope that that's what's going on. I hope that he becomes menacing and saying like, listen, you get this because they're, they're on my tail a little bit here. They're, they're trying, they're starting to figure things out. So you deal with that while I'll deal with this stuff over here. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a huge opportunity that they can execute on. Uh, I hope they do that because I I like getting these payoffs of watching these shows that a lot of people don't watch. Um, And so that way, when you do get into the actual films that, that the masses are watching, you get these little nuggets and these little nuggets are so nice because it's like, Oh yeah, I know how that happened. I mean, an example of this is there were so many people that had watched solo and had the question of, wait, where did Darth Maul come from? Mm-hmm. it's like well that's like 10 years old if you're paying attention <laughs> right, yes. you know but but that was fun for us to see and and for us to see his new lightsaber in that in that uh film it, and so if you watch those anime stuff that that's the fun stuff that that fans that indulge everything star wars get yes. to uh experience and and i hope we get that from resistance uh i don't know if we will but there's a huge opportunity i'm ready to be impressed with a well thought out competent episode that gets back to the core of what we wanted to see in season two, which is how is the first order and the Colossus going to collide? And how does that bring some sort of emotional climax to Tam's story? That's, Mm -hmm. that's what I want to see. And I want him to just get down to it. Yeah. And I'm going to keep watching the show because uh, I I'm still invested, even though we have some filler because of where it's going and where I hope it's going. Uh, So, you know, I don't think, I don't think we're being, too harsh on it. No, no. I think that uh, I think we're being just the uh, just the right amount. But uh, yeah, I I'm looking forward to the rest of the season um, and seeing where it where it ends. Uh, and we know this is the final run, and and I think that's part of my disappointment. Is like this is our final stretch here. We're not getting any more resistance after this, and uh, and I feel like that we've been missing a lot. Yep, I agree. Well, let's see what they do next week. Yeah. Well, John, <laughs> where can the people find you? They can find me at snlpodcast.com. I produce the Saturday Night Live After Party podcast. We cover all new SNL. SNL is coming back for their December run in a few weeks. They've got Eddie Murphy coming in at the end of the month. So that's an exciting thing for anyone that follows SNL since he's a a show alum that has been missing in action for almost 40 years. So um, fun things are happening in December with SNL and we'll be covering all of that. If anyone is a fan of that show and would like to hear our opinions, please check us out. All your podcasting apps, just look for SNL After Party. And you can keep up with this show throughout the week on Twitter at Star Wars TV Talk and email us at hello at Star Wars TV Talk. You can find the rest of our shows online at StarWarsTVTalk.com and by searching for Star Wars TV Talk wherever you get your podcasts. And please do not forget to leave us a nice little five-star <laughs> review. We are also a part of the TV Talk Podcast Network, and you can find other TV Talk podcasts at TVTalk.fm. Thank you so much for listening, and may the Force be with you always.